This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're coming at you from the uscfootball.com studio. we got Chris Trevino on the line joining us remotely. We are not doing a simulcast uh, this week over on YouTube, so this will be a podcast only. We did a television show on Sunday night, so you can check that out. We've been doing a bunch of instant analysis videos up on uscfootball.com as well from the USC football practices. Uh, we're going to talk about USC football. Of course, they got fall camp started, and there have been a couple practices that have been open to the media, at least partially open to the media. We got to talk to Lincoln Riley and some of the offensive players and coaches. So we're going to get into all the details of what we've seen, heard, and witnessed out there. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9100. Please follow us on the Apple Podcasting app if you have that. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It does help to grow the show. Or subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcasting platforms out there. And, you know, normally we say we do these uh, simulcasts on YouTube. We won't be doing that today because we've got Chris joining remotely. But he was there late uh, last night doing a lot of work at the Coliseum uh, and at home following the late uh, practice. We're going to get to all of that with him. But, yeah, you can uh, follow us on on, uh, YouTube at youtube.com slash inside Troy tons of videos going up interviews from players from media day from practices. And then of course, highlights from the beginning part of practices. You can check all that out over there. Well, let's bring in Chris Trevino, who was out there at the Coliseum. It was weird. You got a 7am practice one time and then a 6:30 PM practice the next. So it's kind of a change your body clock a little bit, Chris, I would bet. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln's keeping the players on their toes. He's also keeping the media on their toes with all these uh, <laughs> different times. And I apologize because, yes, I'm the reason we don't have a simulcast today, but I uh, have some appointments to get done out here where I live, so I couldn't come into the studio today. But always happy to jump on the pod with you, Ryan, and make it work. And I'm totally dumb. I forgot that this is our first podcast uh, since the opening of fall camp because, obviously, there was a Friday practice that we covered. Now we have a Monday practice. I, I forgot that we hadn't talked about uh, the the opening uh, outside of instance and uh, tunnel vision, which we did on Sunday. Yeah, so uh, we you know we did cover a lot of that that opening practice, and the media day also was on Thursday. Um, so all of that came after we've done our last podcast. So we can kind of you know mention a little bit of stuff from that, but we'll focus mostly on the uh, Coliseum practice that you were at. Monday night, some of the injuries, and there's uh, some other news we want to get to. Before we do, I just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, if you got, you know, you like the Trader Joe's podcast, you can check them out. They do these quick ones; they're fun. They're like 15, 20 minute long podcasts, so you can go check that out. And then also go to TraderJoe's.com. Look for some, you know, I'm a visual uh, eater, Chris. I love to like what look at stuff and go, okay, I want to eat that. Something that caught my eye is the red bell pepper, garlic, and Parmesan spread. It's a cream cheese spread. Uh, so I like picking up the bagels over at Trader Joe's. And uh, you can use this cream cheese spread, um, you know, put a little chives on top. It looks great. Uh, so that's something I definitely want to check out. I love kind of grabbing that, you know, heating up, you know, throwing something in the uh, toaster in the morning. And the bagels and cream cheese I love. But this is uh, this looks like a cream cheese on steroids with the uh, garlic Parmesan and, and red bell pepper. So definitely want you to try that one out, Chris. 
I'm a huge bagel guy in the morning. I, and I do like a good cream cheese, but I'm not big into the like flavored cream cheeses, you know, like the jalapenos oh. or the garlic or whatever. But I might have to try it just because, you know, Trader Joe's makes a great product. So I just might have to try it, you know, step out of my comfort zone a little bit and try some uh, uh, savory cream cheeses. That's been your M.O. for the last couple of years, Chris, stepping out of your comfort zone, just doing the show, doing all these videos like this. That was definitely not your comfort zone when we started this a couple of years back. Part on this podcast are going to think that, like, because it seems like you compliment me every time. Like, I'm, like, mm. paying you before the podcast to say something nice <laughs> about me. He's doing this all on his own volition. I am not Trader Joe's. I am not sponsoring him to say any of these things. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he just, he's just going with it. All right. Uh, well, let's get to some... Uh breaking news stuff we'll do like there's some different things that came out i'm you know i'm not a big preseason awards watch list guy the polls i tolerate i don't like the polls that come out in like march for the following year but when the preseason polls come out for the coaches poll which did this week and then the ap poll which i believe comes out next next week i'll pay attention to that the coaches poll is the least of the two it's definitely uh, the, the one that doesn't have as much credibility. Usually it's filled out by SIDs from these schools, not necessarily the coaches themselves. Uh, but I'll go quickly and kind of tell you where USC is. You know, you got the top is pretty, uh, you know, you got Alabama one, Ohio State two, both those teams, you know, look good. Georgia defending champion three. You got Clemson moving up uh, to four. Notre Dame, who's on USC schedule, way up there at five. Michigan, who made the playoff at six. Texas A&M, who had that number one recruiting class, they're far, far up there at seven, even though they lost four games last year. The Utes, uh, they're at number eight. Seems a little low for me for the Utes. Uh, they were 10-4 and four last year, but looked so good later in the season. Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley's previous stop. They're coming in at number nine, and Baylor, who won the Big 12 last year. Number 10, Oklahoma State. Uh, they were 12-2 and two last year, kind of uh, sneakingly. They're up, up there at number 11. Uh Number 12, you have the Oregon Ducks. USC doesn't play them, but could potentially play them in a championship game. North Carolina State comes in 13. Michigan State, 11-2 last year. They come in 14. And then you got USC, a 4-8 team last year, coming in at uh, number 15. So if you round out the, the top 25, no other USC opponents on that. But you got you know two Pac-12 teams uh, above USC in Utah and Oregon. And then you also have uh, Notre Dame pretty high up there, uh, also on USC schedule. Any thoughts on the uh, coaches poll, Chris? Yeah, so just looking at it for the Trojans, you know, I know throughout this whole offseason and you've talked about how you don't you don't give much uh, sway to the ones that are so early out. You know, those way too early ones or ones that are just being done in the spring. These are kind of the, the better reflection of what the the true preseason poll was going to look like. And, you know, USC has been a team that has been really hard to sort of put in a top 25. If they want to put them in the top 25, I think they're deserving to be in the top 25. But how high? Just because of the, all the sheer talent that they brought in with, you know, a new coach, a national coach like Lincoln Riley. But it is sort of hard to sort of peg where they should start out. You know, obviously we've seen seen some outlets, major outlets, put them in the top 10, you know, that seven, eight range. And then some have kept them super low, like in the 24, even the 25 spot or 21. And then some have been right in the middle. So they have been a full gambit of rankings throughout the last several months uh, for these preseason polls. And 15 seems fair. You know, I think it's a little bit high. I, I would, I, in my mind, they're kind of around that 17, 18 range. I think that's a, a better sort of fit for them to slot them. You know, anything higher than 15 is getting a little bit, I don't know. I mean, this team was still a 4-8 team last year. This team still has a lot to prove on the defensive side of the ball. There are things that they need to show on the field before they can be, you know, thrust into like a top 10 range, top 11, top 12, whatever. So 15 feels like on the high side of where I would, I would consider putting USC – I think like 17, 18 is more realistic just because, um, you know, like I said, there's so many things they need to 
to figure out and prove in a sense. But the talent off, they are talent wise, a top 25 team all day. So it's just it's just like putting it all together and kind of seeing the product on the field. Um, So that's kind of where I stand with it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I I think that's you know, it's about the right spot. College football is changing. And a lot of it, if you you know, if you follow people that do advanced stats, models and things and a lot of that, that stuff is really interesting information. I don't know if anybody has a a good way to sort of come into a brand new season when you know the roster has been completely turned over and predict, you know, where those teams, you know, where, how those teams are going to perform. It's hard enough anyway, when you knew, well, they got this many starters coming back and they lost these guys. We're like, well, no, you're not typically adding. Well, they're adding like 10 starters <laughs> other programs or whatever. You don't usually have that kind of stat. It's usually like you've brought in high school guys and maybe some of them are going to contribute or this guy was on the roster last year and got some good playing time as a backup. And we project him to be the, you know, take over that spot. You know, it for USC, you've upgraded so many positions. You've brought in so many new players. You have new coaches on, you know, both sides of the ball. I think it's really hard to kind of pinpoint where they're going to be. And, why could a four and eight team be a top 15 team, you know, just in the off season without having played a game. So I think, I think it's a little harder to kind of conceptualize like what this should be and quantify it, you know, and, and when you're putting a poll out, there's numbers you're, you're trying to quantify like where these teams are going to be. So I think 15 is a good starting point for me. If there were somewhere in the high teens, that makes sense. But after like four games, if they go out and go four and zero, and they, you know, they go up to Oregon State and really just roll the beeves on the road, then you're like, all right, this team's legit. And now you're like, okay, this is a top ten team or a top, you know, something like that. But until you see them, see everything in place, see what the defense looks like, uh, I don't, I don't. It's hard to kind of move them around more. But I think it shows that people are willing to buy in that USC is back, quote unquote, USC is back, and but they want to kind of see on the field. And then if they just show any kind of sign, you know, beating rice by a whole bunch might move USC up. They're like, okay, they're legit. We, we saw it. That's all we wanted to see. Um, so I'll be curious to see where you go, but I, I feel like right now, you know, 15 seems like a pretty good spot. Ryan, I just a little side question I'm throwing at you, you know, this whole USC is back thing. USC is back thing. Does that not become official until USC makes a college football playoff? Is that when it's officially back? Yeah, I think so. Cause I mean that the joke, the national joke is like, is Texas back is Texas back. Um, you know, my favorite I think college football memes. Yeah. It's Texas back for USC. I think for Texas, like winning the big 12, I think is a little tougher. Um, just, you know, the, they should have though. They haven't won the big 12 in a while. USC, even when they were kind of down has won the pac 12, they've won a Rose bowl, uh, you know, in Clay Helton era. I think if they come back and win the Pac-12 this year, but like don't make the playoff, I don't think you're saying like, hey, they're back, but they're obviously like back on the right track. And if you're right. able to win the Pac-12 and, you know, you assume they would do it the next year. So you hire Lincoln Riley, you win the Pac-12 twice, and then you go to the Big Ten. Yeah, I think you're you're definitely going in the right direction. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I think you're not going to say like they're back to – you know, the, the, the high standard, like what you had the Pete Carroll era when they were winning championships and John McKay, that kind of stuff. I think that's not happening until you make the playoff. You haven't made the playoff at all. So uh, I think that's probably fair. Right. I'm, I've been seeing a lot of USC's back on my social media, like Braylon Shelby commits USC's back. No, you, you got it. There's no they're on the back. They're, uh, they're back on the track to being back. They're not, they're not back yet. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, let's see what else we had to talk about. Uh, I would say a little quickly with the, the big 10, um, you know, things have pretty much settled down in conference realignment. Uh, but there is this, um, big media deal coming from the big 10. It means a lot. It's sort of like, it's going to set a new standard for what these, you know, big conferences can make, uh, in the media deals. And then, the Pac-12 is sort of waiting to see what happens with the Big with the Big Ten because the Pac-12 would be up next. And George Klyovkov said, you know, they got to wait for the Big Ten and then kind of feel, you know, where they're going from there. And all that could determine 
if teams leave for the Big 12 or if Oregon or Washington, you know, try to get out, they're already trying to get out. But so the latest we're hearing on the Big 10 media deals and the, the news are sort of breaking on Tuesday morning, different reporters were reporting this, that ESPN withdrew from the Big 10 media rights negotiations. Um, so the Big 10 was looking for, according to, this is according to Brett McMurphy, a seven year, $380 million deal and I believe that would be for like that 3.30 window. Um, and ESPN didn't think it was worth that much. So uh, this was, you know, the reports are that the ESPN is is pulling out. The Big Ten l- released a statement after these reports came out that said they're currently working with world-class partners to compete multifaceted media rights agreements. The overall constructs of the new rights deal or agreements have not been finalized. And they continue to have productive meetings. So it's sort of like the Big Ten saying, like, hey, they haven't pulled out yet. Um, but what it would mean if ESPN's not involved, uh, then you're talking about like CBS, um, you know, NBC, uh, stuff like that. So I would, you feel like if that's the case and there's no ESPN, it might be good news for the Pac 12 that they would have more money to kind of go after the Pac-12, if they don't have any sort of uh, Big Ten footprint, it would also seem like you got ESPN fully in bed with the SEC and then Fox fully in bed uh, with the Big Ten. Um, but, you know, kind of curious to see how this all plays out, but it would be um, it would be interesting for the Pac-12 and, you know, probably good news for the Pac-12 that uh, this would happen you know, and, and that the ESPN would really need another dance partner out there and they probably could get a little bit more, you know, a little bit better deal from ESPN if they're not able to get into the big 10 at all. But my, my gut is this, this media rights deal is going to be massive, uh, for the big 10, which is obviously good news for USC and, uh, and UCLA going into this and probably, I think being at least triple of what they would have made uh, in the Pac-12. So, but that's sort of like what's going on right now. You know, in the next week or two, we probably will hear what this deal is. But the kind of latest news would be that ESPN uh, reportedly pulling out. But it seems like the Big Ten is still trying to uh, do some negotiations there. Yeah, I, I let you handle all the, the TV stuff because <laughs> all that stuff does it really makes sense to me except for the, those big numbers but yeah i mean if espn does does in fact pull out i mean that that is a little bit of a a, a tiny bit of a lifeline maybe for the pac-12 and and commissioner george to maybe uh move in and keep the league going for a little bit longer but interesting that cbs might might be part of this you know obviously we are a cbs uh partner so all for the eye baby yeah all for the eye um, yeah, so it looks like, at least from what the reports are, and I think the Sports Business Journal was putting this out first, that, uh, you know, obviously Fox is the major player, but then CBS and NBC would be involved. Don't know how that impacts Notre Dame and, you know, what they would do. I think it's really, I mean, it, not just strengthening USC's new conference, like adding Notre Dame. I think that would be important. But just for the travel, like having Notre Dame in conference and have that be a conference game, I think would be huge for USC. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, take out a road trip every other year. Like that's, you know, that's a significant road trip and it would be a conference game. So I think that would be important. So I'm not sure I need to kind of talk to some, some sources on what it means that NBC would be involved in the, in the big 10. Um, is that more likely to bring in a Notre Dame? Hard to say, but uh, that would be, that would be an interesting development. I think it's just NBC being like, hey, this is how college football is moving. You know, we need to be we need to get in on it for these for this content, you know, to position ourselves for the for the future. Um, And obviously that that would I think I think it would obviously help with the Notre Dame Big Ten potential marriage uh, down the road. So always always all these a lot of moving parts, Ryan. And it's interesting to see how they're all going to come together. Yeah. In the next couple of months and years. For sure. And I'm still interested. I mean, I, you know, 
I think a lot of USC fans still love the Pac-12 or a lot of aspects of it. I know some are upset at the way, you know, the Pac-12 had treated USC over the years. Totally get that. And I, and I agree on a lot of that stuff. Uh, Larry Scott was bad for the conference, but he was bad for the big brands and didn't help USC when they were going through their sanctions and all that kind of stuff. But I'm still curious to see what happens uh, in, you know, on the West Coast uh, in college football. There's the the war between the Big 12 and the, the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 is, is kind of interesting. It does seem like Arizona is still flirting with the Big 12 more than with anybody else. And uh, if you just even read the reporters from there. So this is like curious to see what happens. I don't think the Big Ten's coming after Oregon or Washington, but. You know, they keep 10 together and, you know, maybe expand. I think you're going to be in a, a decent spot if nobody else leaves. But even one, like an, if an Arizona just wants to go, they're like, yeah, we're going to leave. Um, that, I, I don't know what happens at that point. I think it's going to be a lot harder to keep, you know, whatever the Pac-10 would be together. So it's all it's all kind of curious stuff. Um, I, lo- I love all this realignment stuff. So my apologies if you don't, but the, the money is going to be important. Um, and I think, you know, it could lead to, you know, different conferences for USC with, if Notre Dame comes in there and all that. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date on what we're hearing. Uh, there's also some other news, Chris. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. USC, uh, has a punter again. Uh, maybe give uh, everyone an update on what's going on with the punting situation. Lost one and looked like picked up another. Uh, so I'm glad we can, you know, talk about this on podcast finally. But uh, you probably heard reports. But yes, I will be joining the team as a new putter. <laughs> and I'm really excited about it. Congratulations. Uh, what, do you, what do you think you're going to average like hang time wise? Now, back in my heyday, you know, I was I was probably in that 28 range. So I'm hoping you know, with a couple of weeks in Benny Wiley's strength program, I can get over that thirty, that thirty-yard hump. You know, wow. I think what? I think I got it. So you're you're not not the long as far as like distance. It's not going as far, but I assume you have significant hang time. Yeah, I, I get it up there. It it you know you could go. I could punt it. You can go get a soda. You know, at the concession stand and come back. And, you know, that baby's just coming down. So I got hang time for days, right? So if it doesn't work out with you for some reason, is there another option? <laughs> right. And there is there is another option. I, I, you know, I felt like I was kind of the leader in that clubhouse. But there is another option. You know, Lincoln Riley did did tell me, you know, we're going after this other kid. Uh, Aiden Sleep Dalton, which sort of sounds like a made up name. And these Aussie punters, he is from Australia. He is from down under. So. I will not, I will believe it when I see it because the last one broke my heart. So Aiden Sleep Dalton, that's two A's with Aiden. He is going to be joining the team. He is the the plan, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley has hinted about over the last several days about a, a backup uh, or an addition to the punter room to help with that depth uh, with Atticus Bertram's no longer joining the program uh, this season. And, you know, he's got a really interesting story. He, you know, obviously Lincoln said he talked about it on after uh, Monday's practice about, you know, this was a guy that they either got put on their radar through some of their contacts down there in uh, Australia. And they kind of had this process and it's been a whirlwind for them and him. You know, it's been sort of a journey because obviously when you're an international player like that, you need a visa and it's really backed up in Australia uh, per Lincoln. So Aiden actually had to go to London and spend a week there just to be able to get a visa to come to the U.S. And Lincoln joked like he probably doesn't even know what continent he's on. So it's been a lot of flying, a lot of jet lag, I'm sure, for Sleep Dalton. Uh, but it sounds like he's he's here and, you know, he has not officially joined the team on the field yet. And uh, Lincoln was like, yeah, we're going to get we got to get him medically cleared, but he's going to be joining uh, pretty soon. So. That is a nice boost for the specialist room, you know, uh, thing, things to to look forward to, to seeing him out there. And, you know, Will Rose has been sort of the the number one punter, preferred walk on a St. John Bosco. But, you know, Link is excited to add Sleep Dalton uh, to that competition and kind of see where it shakes out. But a nice pickup 
for this for this team, you know, going to the season opener, which I know people were a little bit worried about punting, which is, you know, all things considered, it's it's nice to be worried about punting. Uh, <laughs> but but now they got some they got an answer. They got some they got some help. And obviously, I'll be there to help as well if anyone cares. But uh, a nice pickup <laughs> for the team. Nice. Yeah, I, I think you're the leader in the clubhouse. But if uh, you know Sleep Dalton comes in and you know performs well, and you know, he'll give you a run for your money. So we'll see. My my hope is just to be like that fan favorite, where mm. you know when you know like in the basketball game where it's like 30 seconds left and they put in the guy at the end of the bench and just like the whole student section goes crazy, like loses their mind. That's kind of what my my goal is, you know, in football and in life in general. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's good news. Uh, you know, USC fans are hoping the punter's not going to be all that important this year with the, the amount of points that they could score, but you're going to need them sometimes. So having that. Uh, you're going to need them sometimes, yes. Yeah, you need them. I, we talked about this before with like, you know, in the Pete Carroll era, like Tom Malone was an All-American type of punter and, uh, you know, was having a fantastic year and didn't get enough punts to qualify for like the, you know, the, whatever the postseason award was. So you hope it's a situation like that where you have a good punter, but they don't get to see the field a whole lot. And I have no idea, like any, I don't know how big he is. I don't know how much he weighs. I, I have, I know nothing of the sort. So we're going to have to to figure out, figure that out. But at least, you know, on his, on his, uh, he does have a Twitter and at least on his Twitter, he has a photo of him. So I'm a little bit more confident that he's a real person. You know, his commitment photo was an actual picture of him. And Atticus's was, you know, it could have been like a generic guy. It was a generic guy wearing a helmet. I don't know if that was him. That was just some stock player that they had. But this guy, I can actually see his face. You know, it looks like he's got some serious leg in his, uh, in some clips I've seen. So uh, I, I'm a little bit more confident that this one's real. It's not a ghost. We're talking about yeah, a real the- person. He has like a little profile on ProKicker.com. Um, they list him as a class of 2020 guy, five-star. They call him a five-star punter. doesn't have height or weight there. But if you Google, there are some images. Um, you know, he uh, there's there was a story a while back where he was potentially going to go play for UTEP, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. But he does have a Twitter. Um, that's something. That you know, it it seems like this is more of a real, actual person. Um, if you search down just a little so bit you know, further, Atticus, I was just gonna say Atticus is. If you don't know what we're talking about, Atticus Bertrams is a real person, but it's just a running bit that I've been I've been kind of going with, yeah, for, for many for many months. But if you Google him, there's like five or six entries, and then you get to like an Aiden Velvet platform bed in Walmart. That you know, so but there are at least some. Like there's, it looks like he's there. Um, you know, uh, so we'll see when we get to see him on the field. It'll be interesting. It will be on punter watch uh, to see what happens there. Um, just, but we talked at the top of the show, USC had a media day last Thursday. We put up a ton of stuff. We talked a lot about what we heard and, you know, uh, saw at media day in our tunnel vision show. And we put that up as a podcast. So you've, you probably got updates from that from me and Chris and shotgun and then they had a practice friday morning we talked about that as well got you know a pretty good viewing window on howard jones field and we have some videos up on our youtube channel of some of the highlights that what we saw chris shot a lot of defensive highlights i tried to shoot a little bit of everything you could see jordan addison catching passes for the first time wearing a uh, cardinal jersey so that's a that's a positive and then on monday so that was an early morning practice 7 a.m practice which was kind of weird on friday they had a couple of Coliseum practices that were closed to the media. And then on Monday night, they had a practice, uh, 6.30 PM or 6.45 PM in the Coliseum that was open. At least the beginning part was open to the media. I was do- doing a charity event. I didn't, wasn't able to make it, but we had full team over at uscfootball.com. The hurricane came out, Jerron Martinez, he was out there. Um, but Chris wanted to kind of get your thoughts on USC's first Coliseum practice. Right, and I love that you're using the Hurricane nickname. It's growing, yeah. so I appreciate the uh, the stamp of approval from the boss man uh, with the nickname for Gerard. Um, you know, it was a late it was a late practice, you know, an evening practice. It was absolutely gorgeous out there. You know, just walking into a 
the empty Coliseum, you know, the sun setting on the peristyle, guys practicing on the field. It was it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, very blue sky. It was it was a nice. I put, actually put up a TikTok. You can go watch that on our TikTok at the peristyle. Always gonna plug it. Uh, but that was just like the scene there, and it, it was it was really really nice. And but the thing that kind of jumped out to me, you know, the first thing I walked in was wasn't so nice, and that was injuries, Ryan. And it seemed like you know in spring rehab island. Uh, that's a you know that's a term we we used a lot in the Clay Helton era, but. Rehab Island didn't have a lot of reservations, a lot of bookings in the spring. It seemed like they never had more than, you know, a handful of guys. And those were guys who were injured from the start for the most part and kind of were rehabbing through spring. And day one of camp on, on Friday, you know, there was only three guys. One guy having knee surgery in in Zion Branch and another guy, Carson Tabarucci, a linebacker who transferred in, who was going through something. And then Mo Hassan, who had his own surgery with Achilles uh with, with an Achilles tear. So those were the first three guys on Monday, but uh, or excuse me, Friday, but on Monday, that that group jumped significantly because, you know, first thing I saw, Jude Wolf, tight end Jude Wolf, was in boot. He was not practicing. And uh, Lincoln Riley mentioned after that he's has a foot, has a foot issue that they're looking at. You know, he said he's been playing well in camp and they're hoping it's not sort of a long-term thing. And Jude was the only real quote-unquote injury update that he gave in terms of specifics everyone else he kind of classified as sort of you know nicks and bruises and and that and that's how he kind of uh, cl- cl- classified everyone else but like I said Jude Wolf you know he was walking around the on a boot Gary Bryant Jr. he was out uh in 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 his jersey no shells for him uh Michael Jackson was not in a jersey he was in his long sleeve shirt he was out uh for the day and then on the other side on the defensive side you you saw a bunch of safeties, you know, Bryson Shaw, he did not practice. Latrell McCutcheon, who's been dealing with a little bit of a nagging injury, he did not practice. And Jalen Smith, they were all out as well. And I think one of the big ones, probably the biggest one that I spied during this was Shane Lee. You know, when team warmups were were done, all the, the rehab guys, all the guys I just mentioned, they all went up the tunnel, and I assumed they were getting some rehab in a different part of the, the practice field. But I noticed in the tunnel, I was looking over, watching everyone leave. I noticed number 53, and obviously that's the number that stands out. And Shane looked like he was dressed out because he was wearing his helmet in the tunnel, and he had even the little head protector thing on. And I noticed he was walking out with them. And so I thought maybe he was just going to the bathroom. I don't know. But I didn't see him during the individual drills that I watched, and then I confirmed it later when they had their little position breakdowns at the end of practice, Shane was not did not have his helmet. He did not have pads on. It took me a second to realize it, Ryan, because obviously Shane Lee is so big. It took me a second to realize he was not wearing shoulder pads. That's how big he is. But you know, Shane Lee appears did not practice or was at least limited for for the for the first part. It's possible he just did those team warmups and went to go do some sort of rehab, but. A, a full booking at Rehab Island, it seems, uh, for for the Trojans here early in early in camp. Yeah, that's not good. And uh, I think Shane Lee's, you know, where was he up on our our top uh, thirty most important players? He was he was top five, right? Like he was number four, I believe. Hold on, yeah. I have the list right here. Number four, yes. Shane Lee. I mean, so that's a that's a big one if he's not able to. Uh, go for some reason, you know, hopefully it's just some nicks and bruises. He wasn't addressed, like you said, by, you know, Lincoln Riley. Um, I think it's pretty deep at the uh, the tight end spot, but Jude Wolf, you know, you want to get see him come back. You don't want to see some kind of nagging injury that goes into the season. Um, you know, we just talked about the depth at safety. That looked like the safety depth was a lot better, and you get a few guys out. Then it starts changing, you know, if you're, you're, if you're missing a lot of time. But it didn't, you know, to me, it didn't seem like guys were missing time for no reason. So right. uh, definitely some concerns. We didn't get to see them for two practices in the Coliseum, uh, you know, coming out of the gate maybe hitting a little bit. Um, so curious to see, uh, you know, where that goes from here. But the good news in the beginning was like, oh, everyone's practicing. You're fine. You don't want to see that room start to get bigger and bigger, that that island start to get bigger and bigger. You know, it's going to be interesting to see now that's like a storyline that's, you know, probably moves up significantly for us, you know, going to practice now. And we have another practice this week, a morning practice. So that's obviously what I'm going to see. Like, how how does that, does that, re, does the rehab island bookings expand? 
or are we seeing it shrink down a little bit? Like, do those safeties get back into the mix? Does Gary Bryan get back out there? Does Michael Jackson get back out there? It's going to be interesting. Is Shane Lee back out there? You know, it's going to be interesting to see when we check out practice this week over the next, you know, 48 hours, what has changed, who's injured, who's joining them, who's going back into practice. So definitely going to keep an eye on that. And there was another player that I could not identify, but he was walking around on a boot. Um, I don't think it was a scholarship player. I think it was a walk-on player. So I'm going to have to try to figure out who that was. But there was a, another receiver-looking player that, that was in a boot um, on, a, on a Monday as well. And then after practice, these were observations after practice, I did see uh, Jordan Addison. He had his ankle taped up a little bit. Uh, did not look like he had that early in practice. So, you know, fall camp, fall camp is hard. You know, you got, you got, you're, going, you're going through a lot. You know, a lot of practices, multiple practices, and you are getting you are getting banged up a little bit. But, you know, those are just kind of little things and hope it doesn't compound in the bigger stuff, you know, as you move into, you know, prep week for for the opener and stuff. But those are some things to keep an eye on. OK, uh, they also had referees out there practice for the first time. Yeah. Uh, uh, shout out to Keeley. Keeley uh, brought this up in uh, in Lincoln's uh, scrum. Obviously, can she she can see full practice, so you know she 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 helped us out and let us know that the the refs were there for the first time. Uh, Lincoln said that they had two longer team periods for this Monday practice. You know, some of the longer team stuff they've done so far in camp, and he said the first session was was a lot of penalties. You know, they had some penalty. They even had a penalty take a touchdown off the board. So a lot of a lot of laundry on the field for that first team period. And he said he addressed it with the team in practice. You know, you got to clean it up a little bit. And then that second that second uh, team period was a lot more a lot cleaner. Uh, so he was happy about that. But he also had this really interesting, you know, take on penalties. And Ryan, I'm, I want to get your thoughts on it as well. But he kind of talked about how good uh, if you're a team that doesn't have a lot of doesn't have a lot of penalties, you don't you don't you don't commit a lot of penalties, you're probably not that good. And it's because, you know, in this game of football, he said, if you're playing this game right, you're going to have penalties. There's a certain, you know, there's a certain amount of aggression. You need an aggressive mentality when you're playing football, which obviously that makes sense. Uh, football is a violent sport, is an aggressive sport. And, you know, there's going to be some some penalties that are coming. There's going to be some holding stuff. There's going to be stuff like that. But he said what you really can't have is those, you know, dead ball, those dead ball, um, those dead ball uh, flags, those uh, plays after the those flags after the whistle, administrative penalties. Those are the ones you can't have. You know, if they're going out and they, you know, get a holding call or something like that, you know, they're 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 OK with those. They're, they're OK with living with those because, you know, they want guys who are out there playing aggressively, playing hard you know, getting after it. And sometimes those those penalties happen. Uh, but it's the ones, you know, after the whistle, those kind of personal foul ones, dead ball fouls, those are the ones they can't have. And those are the ones you need to address with the team and kind of uh, cut out for, from a team. Yeah, I think that all that makes sense. Um, you know, we you mentioned like the Pete Carroll era. They were the most penalized teams in, in the Pac-10 at the time. Now, some of that was Pac-10 stuff. The The weirdest stat ever was that all those USC teams that were winning, you know, conference championship after conference championship, they were the most penalized and their opponents were always the least penalized. And so was there a little cooking of the books to try to like knock USC down a peg? Yeah. I mean, like statistically, that's not, it's not possible that you are the, always the most penalized team and your opponent is always the least, um, no matter who the opponent is. That was like, that was just glaring of what was going on in the conference, but those teams were aggressive and you're going to get, a normal amount of penalties for aggression. If you're not having enough men on the field or you're lining up off sides or you're, you know, you're false starting, like things like that, that's more mental. That's not because you're being aggressive. Um, you know, you might have an offsides one cause you're trying to like t- time the snap count, but sometimes that controlled aggression you need. And if you're not playing aggressive football and you're just, you're never getting penalized. Yeah. I, I agree with Lincoln Riley on that one. That's, it's an interesting way to put it. It's not a way it this isn't a way to justify getting penalties, but there's there's a certain amount of like you need to be a certain amount of crazy to put on a helmet and get out on there and you know get in car crashes with other human beings, essentially what you're doing. So 
if you ever never get penalties, that's probably you're probably not doing it right. Uh, a certain amount of crazy. I like I like that description. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're going out there and punching teams in the mouth, yeah, you're gonna get some you're gonna get some penalties thrown on you. But you just need to get them in the in the right context of the game. And when he said that, you know, the the if you don't get a lot of penalties, you're probably not very good. Um, I kind of thought to the fact that you know US CEO the last couple of years would get a lot of penalties and they weren't very good. So they did not have the right combination right. No, they did not. Um, anything else uh, from practice that sort of uh, you want to touch on before we move on? Yeah, I, I think because I was in the 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 top part of obviously the Coliseum and the concourse, I can watch a lot more of practice and I was able to focus a lot more on the offensive line and such. So I found myself watching them a lot and it was a very big technique day for uh, Coach Henson and his group. You know, there are times in the drill where he would stop the drill and, you know, turn to one person and kind of instruct them one-on-one. It didn't matter if he was holding up the drill. He really wanted to get his message across uh, for whoever he was he was working with. So it was a big technique kind of day for them uh, doing doing drills as a unit. And you kind of, I kind of got to see how that that first team O line was shaking out, and it's pretty much the same from what we saw in the spring. You know, Cortland Ford at left, uh, Andrew Voorhees at left guard, Brett Nealon in the middle, middle, Justin Dietrich at right guard, and then Jonah Monheim at uh, right tackle or yeah, right tackle. And the big other thing was that uh, Bobby Haskins was there. You know, this was his first media debut in terms of being on the field because he was not there for practice number one on Friday. So he was sort of operating as that backup left tackle to Cortland Ford and Mason Murphy was over there flipping to the right side. So Mason Murphy is, we talked to him after practice and he said he is cross training for that left and right, which I actually like because if Cortland or Haskins is going to be one of your, your two left tackles up there, it makes sense to get Murphy on the field, maybe as a right tackle, you know, in, in spot players or things. And Lincoln said he's very happy with the development of the tackles. Um, he thought Jonah was the most uh, consistent offensive line or tackle from the spring. And, he, you know, he raved about, you know, Mason Murphy and the growth that he's had. And he's sort of pushing to to get playing time this year. And they want to get him on the field. And everyone obviously wanted to ask about Bobby Haskins, you know, because, you know, it's been talk about Bobby Haskins. Now you can actually see him play. And, you know, Josh Henson was asked about him, what's, what stood out about him over these first couple of practices. And it's just his consistency. You know, he is an older player and he just knows how to set himself up to win, win a lot, you know, win, win a one-on-one rep or win, you win a battle in a team period. He has that experience and it just jumps off the page when you watch him, watch him play. He just has that experience. And that's, that's helping him sort of make up for the time that he's lost. Obviously he was in, he did not get to do uh, spring camp because he was recovering from that uh, ankle surgery. And we did get to talk to him after he made his media debut. It was obviously a popular uh, uh, interview request for today. And, you know, I really liked it. He, you know, he has a uh, he has a little bit of an East Coast uh, uh, twang in his voice and very mature as, as a grad transfer. You know, that's something that you pick, pick up on immediately. He's got a, he's got a nice personality. Um, you know, he said he's feeling 100 uh, percent from that ankle surgery. It's, it's an ankle injury that he was playing through last year at Virginia. And that's something they kind of took care of after the season. You know, he was very uh, thankful for the, both medical staffs at Virginia and at USC, because obviously there was some overlap in his treatment. So he was very thankful for both of those staffs and how they've helped him kind of get over that. Uh, but he's having a great time at USC. And, you know, he talked about the process a little bit and how it was very hectic for him because, you know, USC had not hired uh, Coach Henson yet during the process. So there was a lot of faith there that, you know, they were going to bring in a really good O-line coach. And Lincoln Riley was kind of the one handling his recruitment, obviously because they did not have an O-line coach. But he, he felt he could trust Lincoln when they had that that initial phone conversation. He also talked to, to Betty Wiley. And then when Henson did get hired, I think it was a couple of days after Haskins came aboard, you know, he was the first person he called. And they had like a nice 30-minute conversation. So he's been all in. You know, he left a place where he was probably going to start again to a place where he's got to compete for a starting job. And that's what he said. He 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 welcomed the opportunity to kind of compete here at USC. And he's, you know, the the culture has been, you know, something that stood out to him. Everyone is on the same page, he said, you know, from a 26-year-old grad transfer to a 17-year-old 
early enrollee. Everyone is on the same page. Everyone is rowing the boat in the same direction. That, that, that was his quote, and he really likes it here, and he's a really good personality addition for this room. All the guys talked about how, how funny he is and how he's a great fit for that room. So he's making an impact, you know, on the field and off the field, too, as sort of an older, another older guy that, that the tackles can kind of lean on. Um, because they they do have some young tackles, and he is obviously Andrew, obviously Andrew Voorhees has tackle experience, but Bobby Haskins is sort of that true tackle, especially with some guys like Cortland, uh, Jonah, and then Mason Murphy. So he's he's a, he's been a really nice addition, and you know I think he had a really nice media debut um, on uh, Monday. Nice. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and get to some questions. Back in a minute. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Uh, great stuff, Chris. And uh, thanks for the recap of what was going on at practice on Monday. We'll be back out there Wednesday morning, uh, USC practice. So we'll give you an update on what goes on after that uh, next week on the show. And we'll have another um, tunnel vision. Should be on Sunday night again. So we'll we'll do that. And we got you got a uh, two-star recruiting podcast coming up this week too, Chris? Yeah, that's on the docket. So you can check that out. Me and Hurricane. We're supposed to be recording tomorrow, probably after practice. So it's going to be a long day for me, but get some thoughts from Gerard, get some Gerard takes from his time of practice because he was there. And then we have a commitment to talk about and some other stuff. So I, th- I think it should be a good episode of the pod. Nice. Sounds good. I, I tried to play this last time, but I, you were talking. I apologize, but you have the sound for the hurricane. You ready for that? Woo! Hurricane. For GM. Um, very, I'm very proud of that. That, by the way, I just want to, I just want to. It's a great little clip. I just want to put great. that out. Want to put that out. Great job. Uh, okay, let's go to our first question. We got Mike in the Bay Area. Now that the NCAA hammer of justice has fallen on Tennessee, what do you think is in store for Arizona State? I would have, I would have to imagine, if the allegations against them are true. They're going to be looking at a similar punishment fight on Mike in the Bay Area. Um, from what I've heard, Mike, and Chris, get your thoughts too. Chris Cartman does a great job covering the Sun Devils for Sun Devil Source. And um, he's saying that this is going a lot slower than they anticipated the investigation. Uh, they're not even doing, I think they haven't even gotten into some of the interviews process yet. So we thought this would happen. Like last year, they kind of punted on things. They got rid of assistant coaches after the season. I think this sort of drags on for quite a while. And uh, I don't know if you're going to see something happen during the season. I feel like, though, it could even be worse for Arizona State because you got this cloud hanging over the program. Uh, they should have fired Herm Edwards before this whole nepotistic thing going on with Ray Anderson, the athletic director, who's his former agent and all that stuff. I, To me, this is a... I, I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop for a while. You know, they suspended three assistant coaches last year, including, you know, Chris Hawkins. Uh, they got, you know, the former USCDB. They had to replace offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, a bunch of assistants, but they didn't replace the head man. And, and USC fans are probably, you know, familiar with that, where they didn't do that for Clay Helton either. But uh, I, I mean, I, there's, yeah, the allegations are, are bad. Um, and they've been kind of 
pushing it back. You're sort of like delaying the inevitable. So if something comes down during the season, I think it could make everything spiral out of control. But I, this this seems to me a program that's kind of teetering. And I, I know it's, it's to me, it's a house of cards. You're not going to be able to keep this going together. They've had too many players leave the program. Uh, there's some people that, you know, think that Arizona State could make a bowl game. I think they're going to be like a three, four, maybe five win team. But any any thoughts on you, Chris? But do you, I have no idea how Herm is still alive in terms of his job. I just, I, I just don't know how that happens based on the allegations that you're facing. And I'm a little bit surprised that, well, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised that the NCAA is taking forever on this and, you know, the process is moving slower than anticipated that they haven't even done interviews. So I was expecting something to come down in the middle of the season, but based off what you're saying, you know, I wouldn't expect anything like you said in the middle of the year. Um, but I think that this team is going to be a absolute dumpster fire because I just think all the, like you said, that cloud over them is just going to get to this team, you know, this locker room. You know, we all saw that video of uh, after Jaden Daniels left and kind of just going through his locker room. The culture there is, is is not in a good spot. And I mean, I don't know what it's looked like since that, but that, that can't be a great, you know, start to a season in terms of your off season. So, you know, they've lost a lot of people. And I, I don't know. I just don't know how this team is going to get to a bowl game. And I think there's like early potential for it to be like a a USC season of last year where they're just getting beat early. And maybe Herm gets the midseason cut and then, you know, everything kind of just falls apart from there as, as they kind of limp towards the finish line, just trying to get through the season. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, they I think they have like five scholarship wide receivers left. I think like there's five like linebackers on scholarship, but I mean, it's, there's some pretty bad numbers going on over there. I think there's only, it's like USC during the sanctions. There's like 70 guys on scholarship total. Um, so they, I, I think this is like what they were. I think they were eight and five last year. I, I just don't see it coming anywhere close this season. So, but thanks. They for the either, they either, uh, it all implodes and everything is, terrible and it's one of the worst seasons they've ever had or they they bond together and they win the national championship that's the only two options i have for them right <laughs> bond together there's no middle the there's okay. no middle and i think there's like a 1.000001 chance of the the latter happening so yeah, yeah that's not very likely but you know we'll see uh we got paul in vegas wrote in he says hey guys listen to your podcast where you're uh, beginning to project the depth charts by position during fall camp. Do the coaches give you the media insights into how they're ranking players? Also along that vein, since no one can watch practices, is there any way to compare Miller Moss to Caleb Williams as far as performance and development? Thanks, Paul in Vegas. What do you think, Chris? Uh, as far as the first question, I mean, I, do they mean like publicly or like behind the scenes? You know, you can talk to players and coaches behind the scenes and you can get insight. I, I wouldn't say that they're you know telling you, oh, this person is going to start here. or This person's going to be there. But you can get insight as, oh, this person's like killing it in PRPs or this person had a great summer or this person, you know, put in a lot of work in the weight room, stuff like that. You can pick up and kind of use towards your projections. And that's kind of what I use towards my projections and also using some like logic as well. Just like, oh, that's kind of how I try to look at it. You know, for the most part, the projections have been pretty good um, in some spots, but it's all it's all it's only early in fall camp. So a lot's going to change. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be injuries. People are going to have to step up. Someone's going to beat out someone. So there's all those things. You know, you can make all these projections, but they kind of go out the window once fall camp starts because you really don't know what's going to happen in terms of that. Um, and then in terms of Miller Moss and Caleb, I would say no in terms of not being able to see it. I, I can't really think of a metric you can kind of um, compare them um, moving forward if I can't see them practice. Yeah, it's 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 hard to say. Um, you can get insight from just talking to these guys and it, you know, it seems like everyone's kind of settled into Caleb Williams is, you know, the, the real leader on this team and Miller Moss is showing a lot of great leadership as well. Seem to embrace the role. Uh, 
I think you're going to see a lot of Miller Moss because they're going to be blowing out some teams. Um, and, you know, we can see them throw the ball, you know, routes on air in the beginning of practice, but that's about it. And I put up some shots of them in the video. You can kind of see them both throwing the ball, but you're not getting a lot of insight into like who's better at the quarterback spot by just them throwing to receivers is running against nobody. Um, but yeah, I think Chris, you kind of nailed it with all of that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, one last one. Uh, this was from the Peristyle, I think. Or is it a DM from you? This was a, this was a DM from uh, Chip on Twitter. Okay. A Twitter, uh, Twitter DM. Uh, thanks, Chip, for sending this in. He said, for the next Peristyle podcast, once um, spring camp starts, I think he meant fall Even camp. Fall camp. Yeah. Uh, spring camp long gone, but that's okay. We get it. Uh, we'd love to hear the perspective of players and coaches on the changes to the nutrition program. You and Ryan touched on the changes under Wiley, but interested to know the other changes around sports science, which might uh, influence the conditioning of athletes. Keep up the great work, Chip. And uh, I think one of the things we saw Friday morning, right, Chris, was like there was a a shake table, a table of like, a, you know, different kinds of shakes. And different, delicious. They did, and different players, depending on their needs, were getting the different. It wasn't just like, hey, I want strawberry today. It was, they were tailored, I believe, for, you know, certain whatever their goals were for uh, the players. But it definitely seems like nutrition is more involved now. I guess that's something we could talk to Lincoln Riley or somebody about going forward, too. And, but any, any thoughts on that? And just shakes, but they had a full spread of, like, fresh fruit. You know, there's watermelon, there was grapes, there was uh, cantaloupe, not cantaloupe, uh, pineapple. There was even like little tiny dill pickles on uh, um, uh, toothpicks for them to, to, I assume that's, you know, some, like the pickle juice or the pickle whatever, you know, get some salt back in you or, or whatever. So they had a full range for players after practice. It, it looked delicious. In terms, I'm not a, like a big morning fruit guy, but it looked quite good. And I meant to ask more people about the nutrition program on during the media day, but I did get to ask Nick Figueroa about it. Like, what is the impact of the, the nutrition program under Lincoln Riley? And obviously Nick, great talker, gave me great, great stuff. He says, it's been, it's been a, it's been huge. And just, you know, from the first off, he said the food has been better. And, you know, he, he kind of backed, backed off that a little bit. He said the food was, was good, you know, last year or previous staff, but he just said it's, it's a lot better this year. Not, not to like trash the previous nutrition staff, but he just felt like the food this year is uh, really, really good. And, you know, they do all these things in terms of monitoring. Um, he mentioned, you know, they have good psych services for the players. I know that's new, not nutrition, but that is like a support thing for players. And he says they have, you know, sleep monitoring for anybody that wants it. I believe he called it a whoop, which is a, a, a funny name. But, yeah, you can get the monitors to kind of help you track your sleeping habits and kind of see where you need to improve in terms of, you know, being an overall better athlete and being prepared to practice and, you know, playing games and stuff. So it sounds like this nutrition program under Lincoln Riley has just been transformed and the players are really liking it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And we'll, we'll try to get some more uh, info on all that, but it's just one of those things where if you look at any aspect of this program, it's just better run now. It's well run. It's thought out. Um, there's good leadership. You make good decisions. It all trickles down. People are making, you know, doing the right things in a lot of different aspects of it. So before if nutrition was more of an afterthought or it was kind of willy nilly and now it's like, oh, that's kind of buttoned down. That's all taken care of. And oh, the workouts are this and that's taken care of or the way the assistant coaches handle this in the athletic department, every, everything you, people are making better decisions and it kind of helps the overall product, right? There's not, there's less chance of things falling through the cracks. And I think, you know, having a, a strong nutrition program is one of them just from what we see, you can see like, Oh, they seem to be paying more attention to this. We wouldn't have noticed something like that before, uh, seeing the shakes out there and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of positive, but that's definitely something we can talk to like Lincoln Riley about, I think going forward. Um, Chris, we had, uh, someone DM me a, a question about, I don't have it specifically right in front of me, but they were asking about, will USC play, USC and usually play more night games because of the, the Big Ten. And uh, I feel like, and, you know, I, I John Wilner's talked about this before, too. And, you know, we don't know for sure, but I feel like that's not necessarily going to be 
the case. Um, if ESPN isn't involved, they're going to get involved in the Pac-12 and or Pac-10 or whatever it's going to be, and they'll probably try to get that late night window. It's 7:30 p.m. on the West Coast, but it's 10:30 p.m. Uh, on the East Coast. Uh, in the you know, and a lot of the Big Ten footprint is in that because the you know like the Central Time, they'll still go on. You know, their their TV is still on Eastern Time, and so. That it's not in the Big Ten's interest in their partners to show a lot of 10.30 p.m. games, uh, in my opinion, and from people I've talked to, the same sort of thing. Fox and CBS, which are likely both going to be partners with the Big Ten, uh, they own the Mountain West. Um, and you know, Fox, I think, has the Mountain West championship game. But they'll, they will have West Coast exposure uh, with the Mountain West Conference. And I think Fox has an exclusive deal with Boise State. So Boise will probably play a lot of 7.30 games. And that's probably going to be their window where it's like an FS1 game. Like Fox, Big Fox isn't showing a 10.30 p.m. college football game. Like They're just not going to do it on the East Coast. So I feel like their exposure to West Coast football is going to get a lot. You know, they'll do that from the Mountain West for both CBS and for Fox. And, you know, USC might have an occasional night game, but those might be a thing of the past at, uh, completely. Uh, I'll be curious to see what that is if they, but I, I wouldn't say every week USC and UCLA are going to be playing some kind of night game because they want that. I don't think the partners, the TV partners are necessarily going to want to do that. They look at it as kind of a waste because um, they can, you know, they, they can own these other time slots. So you're going to get, you know, bigger numbers. So um, I don't know if ESPN not being a part of that has a, as I don't know how much of an impact that has, but I wouldn't expect uh, people that are worried that you're going to play all kinds of night games. I think it's kind of likely to be the opposite where you're not going to play as many. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Chris, but. No, I mean, I think you kind of hit on everything. Um, just got to factor in the new time zone, that central time and that Eastern time market, but yeah, you want more eyeballs on it. So you're going to want to play in times that cater to, to that, that market as well as your 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 sort of west coast market that you're you're now adapt you're bringing into the big 10 and you know as someone who has covered a lot of late night pac 12 games i would not i would prefer not to cover more night games that's just me yeah and you know your road games and conference aren't going to be the night games right they're not going to be because they're not kicking off uh you know in uh in Illinois, they're not going to be kicking off at 10.30 p.m., right? Um, the question would be, would the home games be night games? But I, I think even that's probably not going to be the case. Probably a bunch of the 3.30 games, you know, which are, um, you know, and, and some 12.30 games on the West Coast. You know, I think you'll see more of those. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot less night games. That'll be something interesting to see. Uh, but I think you'll get a lot of that kind of coming out from when, if, when the the details of this media deal come out. I think we'll know a lot more then. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up. Uh, Chris Torino, awesome work. Uh, thanks, man. I know you were up late. So thanks for getting up early and uh, and doing the show with us. I can get used to these morning practices. So uh, thanks for the training. Thanks for the practice. <laughs> Yeah, Wednesday. Do you, was it like a 9 a.m. practice Wednesday or is it 10, 8? It's a 9 a.m. practice, yes. Not quite not quite right and early, but still early. Still early, yeah. Still, I mean, it's a morning practice and stuff. So we'll see you out there then. We'll have – check out uscfootball.com. We'll have reaction from defensive players and coaches uh, on Wednesday. So for Chris Trevino, I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.